Hey everyone, before we start today's episode, I would like to give a quick shout out to a few of my friends and supporters over on Instagram. Over the last few weeks, I've made some really awesome connections with other creators who have podcasts that I think you will enjoy. So when we're done here today, I encourage you to check out The Conversation Cabin, hosted by my friend Farah. The show is an absolute delight to listen to, and she talks about a lot of the same themes that we do here. So if you're left wanting more haunted and spooky content, I will have The Conversation Cabin linked in the show notes of today's episode. In addition, I would also like to thank the ladies over at the You're Creeping Me Out podcast. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Maria and Jessica earlier this week, and I told them some of my own personal paranormal stories. The episode will be out tomorrow, February 27th, so if you're interested in learning more about my own experiences, as well as discovering a cool show in the process, I will also have Jessica and Maria's show, You're Creeping Me Out, linked in the show notes for this episode. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's topic. We have all experienced it. Say you are sitting in an otherwise empty room when you notice the unmistakable sensation of a pair of eyes staring at you. Or maybe while you are riding on a crowded bus or subway car, You can't shake the feeling of being watched. Scopophobia, as they call it, is the fear of being stared at. A fear that I'm sure many of us have likely faced at one point or another. In fact, the condition is quite common, with one in eight people experiencing its anxiety-inducing effects at least once during their lifetime. And though scopophobia has been around, at least in concept, since the dawn of humanity, its effects have been exacerbated in more modern history after the invention of the camera. As it turns out, those of us with this sort of aversion aren't too keen on the idea of being forever captured in a moment in time for the viewing pleasure of others. This link between photography and scopophobia makes sense when you think about it. After all, pretty much ever since its inception, people have been making some pretty sensational claims about photography when it comes to its connection with the spiritual plane. For instance, there is an old superstition that alleges a person's soul can be stolen simply by being photographed. Another notion claims that you should not photograph someone while they are sleeping, or else you run the risk of leading their soul away from their sleeping body. And then there's the age-old claim that it's bad form to photograph graves and headstones, as you are liable to wake the souls of the dead. Which leads me to the question, can a spirit be caught on film? And if it can, does it do so willingly? I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. Now before we dive deeper down the rabbit hole that is spirit photography, a brief history of the medium's more earthly ties is likely in order. The earliest written record of cameras, at least as a concept, dates back to the year 400 BCE. 
though these rudimentary cameras differed in design and function than the camera that we know today. Camera obscura, as it was called, casted pre-made images onto walls or screens, acting more like a modern-day projector than a camera. Likewise, they weren't actually capable of capturing images on their own. Instead, the invention of the first photographic camera is credited to Frenchman Joseph Niepce, circa 1822. It was his invention that captured images which could be developed onto lined paper with silver chloride. And while this innovation was a groundbreaking one, it is worth mentioning that the first photographic camera wasn't exactly practical. Which is exactly why the device had various upgrades over the years. For instance, in the late 1820s, Louis de Geer created a more practical model that involved developing images over hot mercury. This model was then replaced by the mirror camera, which addressed the biggest flaw of its predecessor, fading. These models were then essentially rendered useless upon the invention of the instant exposure camera, which was akin to the Polaroid. But despite all of these practical developments, Photography as a medium didn't gain mass popularity until the invention of the Kodak camera in 1888, which just so happened to coincide with the height of the spiritualism movement. As we can remember from episode 3, spiritualism is a belief system in religious practice based on the idea that departed souls had the capacity to interact with the living, meaning that, at least in theory, Spiritualists could essentially communicate with ghosts. And thanks to the development of photographic cameras, maybe it was also possible to capture these spirits on film. As morbid as it is to think, death was somewhat of a trending topic in the 19th century. This, of course, was due to the rising popularity of spiritualism, which provided a platform for countless mediums to practice their art, and in turn, make a sizable profit. As a modern-day point of comparison, mediums of the 19th century were akin to the modern-day content creator. For instance, anyone with the latest iPhone, in theory, could create a viral video. However, if you want to have a viable career as a content creator, you would need to find a way to set yourself apart from the masses. And the same could be said for mediumship. At the height of spiritualism, anyone who had the means and know-how could hold a seance and commune with the dead. However, it was those who set themselves apart who were immensely successful in the field. Take William H. Mumler, for instance, who, in March of 1861, took a photo that would forever change the course of his career. Up until this point, Mumler had been working as a jeweler's engraver, far from the fame medium he was about to become. It all started on that spring day, when he took a trip down to a friend's photography studio. Mumler had intentions of shooting a simple self-portrait that afternoon, However, as the picture developed, it became quite apparent that he had captured a great deal more than he had bargained for. According to Mumler, at least, the photo not only unveiled an image of himself, but also of his cousin, who had died 
12 years prior. Now, before we go any further, I encourage you to take a moment to go check out the photo itself. I will have it, as well as the other photos I'll mention throughout the episode, available on this episode's show notes, as well as posted to my social media. Don't worry, I'll be here when you get back. Now, after seeing the photo for yourself, I'm sure it won't come as a surprise when I say that the image sparked somewhat of a media sensation. Not to mention, it launched Mumler's career as the first spirit photographic medium. He was even able to open two offices, one in New York and another in Boston, to professionally photograph people alongside the souls of their departed loved ones. And all Mumler asked in return was a small $10 payment for his services. Over the years, Mumler had the opportunity to photograph several notable personas, including politicians and celebrities. In fact, aside from his own self-portrait, his most famous work is likely a photograph of Mary Todd and Abraham Lincoln, which was shot after the 16th president had been assassinated. Despite his success as a spiritual medium, Mumler's accounts in spectral photos also attracted the attention of various skeptics. And when looking at his story with a close eye, it's no surprise that his work gained this sort of negative press. In fact, William Mumler was said to have an entrepreneurial mindset, along with a knack for self-promotion. And he almost certainly saw the marketability that spiritualism and mediumship had at the time, meaning that it was very possible that he was simply attempting to profit off of the movement, just as so many others had done before him. Which is likely why, by the year 1869, he was charged for selling allegedly fraudulent photos under the guise of false advertising, though he was acquitted a short time later, making his story even more mystifying to the public. Now you're probably wondering, how could it be that these images were faked? I mean, with such rudimentary equipment, along with the general fuss that came with developing even authentic photos, it seems that doctoring a photo after the fact would be a complicated and convoluted process at best. Not to mention that photo editing software such as Photoshop or Lightroom wouldn't be invented for approximately another 100 years. Now these sort of questions were nagging at me as well, so I did a bit more digging. And in doing so, I found that not only would it be possible to doctor such photos, it was also quite easy to achieve this sort of effect. In fact, at the time, numerous photographers were experimenting with double exposure, which, simply put, involved combining two photos by overlaying one on top of another. From what I was able to gather, double exposure isn't exactly hard to achieve, especially once you understand the basics of photography. And with this knowledge in mind, it wouldn't be unfair to assume that Mumler's photos were simply double-exposed. And for what it's worth, I do have my own reservations about Mumler's claims. For instance, I have been having trouble wrapping my head around why the spirit of his deceased cousin would manifest in a seemingly random photo studio, just to be captured on film by mere happenstance. Not to mention, I wasn't able to find any information on why Mumler was in need of a self-portrait in the first place. 
And for that matter, the fact that Mumler was repeatedly able to document spirits with such archaic equipment, when with today's technology, an investigator would be lucky to photograph even one instance of paranormal phenomena. Well, let's just say it all seems a bit too convenient for my tastes. But regardless, it's hard not to find the overall story to be at least somewhat interesting. And to give credit where credit is due, Mumler's works still pave the way for what I believe to be a viable field of paranormal research. When done reputably, that is. And as a matter of fact, the foundations laid during the early days of spirit photography would be used around the world for decades to come. decades following the fast-track success of William Mumler's spiritual career, several more would-be photographic mediums hopped onto this bandwagon. Take the story of Frederick Hudson, for example. In 1872, this English photographer decided to try his hand at spirit photography, though his efforts were, unfortunately, illegitimate. You see, he had allegedly rigged his camera to hold a pre-exposed image that moved into place each time he took a photo. Then, once the image developed, he would pass the photo off to his grieving client, claiming that the picture documented their deceased loved one, or so the allegations claimed. And then there is the tale of Edward Bouguet, a Frenchman and self-proclaimed spirit photographic medium of the 1870s. However, unlike the photographers that I've referenced up until this point, Bouguet was actually charged for fraud, and ended up making a full confession for his crimes. According to his own admission, Bouguet had successfully faked spectral images by wrapping dolls in gauze and attaching photos of faces onto them. From there, he would then photograph these makeshift mannequins and claim that the resulting images were spirits caught on camera. I know, his efforts were surely creative, but illegitimate nonetheless. Now, while the same could be said for countless other supposed spirit photographers, it should also be noted that there are numerous ghostly images that are much more difficult to debunk. For example, there is a photograph of the library at Combermere Abbey in Cheshire, England, taken by the famous spirit photographic medium Sybil Corbet. According to Corbet herself, the photograph documented what appeared to be, quote, a faint outline of a man's head, collar, and right arm, end quote. Upon further review of the photograph, the claim was made that the spirit was that of Lord Combermere himself. Now, it is true that the image has faced its fair share of criticism. However, the documented figure carried a striking resemblance to the Lord, who had passed away a few weeks earlier, which sort of complicates things for skeptics. You see, for the most part, faked spirit photographs were taken either in long exposure or double exposure. In both cases, the quote-unquote spirit would have been a living person, either photographed separately or by passing through the background of the photo while it was being taken, meaning that it would have been nearly impossible to capture a picture of the late lord. 
And sure, you could say that the supposed spirit was modeled by somebody who resembled him, but you have to admit, it's still a pretty compelling argument. Another incredibly famous spirit photograph was taken in September of 1936 in Raynham Hall of Norfolk, England. This photo was originally intended to be published in an upcoming edition of Country Life magazine. However, as photographer Hubert C. Provend and his assistant Indre Shira walked the halls of the then 300-year-old mansion, snapping pictures along the way, they noticed something odd on the staircase in the main hall. It was Shira who noticed it first. In one minute, there was nothing but an empty, albeit grand staircase. Then, in the next, there was a, quote, vapory form gradually assuming the appearance of a woman moving down the stairs towards them, end quote. It was then that Proven urgently instructed his assistant to photograph the anomaly, and thus, perhaps the most famous spirit photograph known to man was captured. Today, this photograph of the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall is widely considered to be authentic, and if you haven't already done so, I again encourage you to go take a look at the photo, because after seeing the image for yourself, I think the claim for its authenticity becomes more apparent. Unlike the photographs that I have mentioned previously in this episode, the supposed spirit captured in this photo is fairly grainy, and I do say that endearingly. Because, at least from my own perspective, a spirit that, mind you, can barely be detected by the average human eye, likely wouldn't be so clearly captured on film. Instead, it would more likely appear as a misty form or shadowy figure, just as the brown lady of Raynham Hall did in this example. And that is if you are even lucky enough to capture a full-body apparition on film to begin with. Now, while it is true that it is extremely rare to encounter a full-body apparition, let alone photograph it, it should be noted that the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall is not the only reportedly authentic photo of a spirit, and this next example will likely entice the Stephen King fan in all of us. Back in the spring of 2016, a photo was taken in the lobby of the Stanley Hotel. Now, for those of you who may be unaware, the Stanley is famously known as being the inspiration behind King's iconic novel, The Shining. Needless to say, the hotel is said to be haunted by numerous spirits, including the original owner, Freeland Oscar Stanley, along with his wife, Flora. Now it is Mrs. Flora Stanley who is said to be photographed in this example. This photo, taken by Henry Yao of Houston, Texas, was meant to be just a simple panoramic shot of the hotel lobby. Off to the left is the hotel's check-in desk, with a staff member assisting a guest. Then, in the center, is the grand staircase, and off to the right is the elevator and the entry door to the hotel's gift shop. At first, I will say the photo isn't much to write home about. In fact, if you were to give it a passing glance, you will likely miss what makes the picture so chilling in the first place. Allow me to direct your attention to the top of the image. About halfway between the left corner and the middle of the image, you will find a rather misty figure standing at the top of the stairs. By the looks of it, this figure is dressed in period clothing, with a high-collar dress that reaches down to the floor. According to his own testimony, 
Henry Yao didn't recall seeing anyone at the top of the stairs at the time that this photo was taken. Not to mention, the apparition didn't seem to appear in the photo until the following morning, when he was once again reviewing the photos he had taken during his stay. Of course, it is possible that he simply missed the apparition upon first glance. Because like I said, the picture alone isn't exactly spectacular. However, stranger things have happened within the walls of the Stanley Hotel, the likes of which we will discuss in a future episode. But for now, the story of Henry Yao just goes to show that there may be more to spirit photography than initially meets the eye. It is no secret that spirit photography was an incredibly popular field during the height of the spiritualism movement. And while this popularity did decline during the 1930s and 40s, it should be noted that the discipline has made somewhat of a resurgence in the modern day, likely due to the rise of social media, along with the demand for in-home security cameras. And with multi-million dollar horror movie franchises like Paranormal Activity or Shudder's Host, Well, I guess it's no surprise why spirit photography is once again taking center stage. One recent example is the story of the Pitt family, who, in the fall of last year, captured a horrifying image on their home security camera. It was about 3.40 a.m. on October 21st, 2022, when Amanda Pitt awoke to the sound of heavy footsteps tracking through her Pennsylvania home. I'm sure you can imagine how unsettling this would be, especially considering that Amanda and her husband have four children who also live at the residence. Naturally, Amanda assumed that someone was breaking into the house, so she checked the security cameras from her phone. To her surprise, she doesn't see an intruder, but what she does see is equally frightening. There in the kitchen was what Amanda would later describe as a ghost-like figure, complete with a semi-transparent face that was floating several feet above the ground. It was then that she woke her husband Jeffrey, who headed downstairs to face the spirit head-on, and, of course, to make sure that no one had actually broken into the residence. However, Jeffrey didn't find anyone on the first floor, nor did he see any signs of home invasion, although he did find Ollie, their dog, pacing around the kitchen. By morning, the couple didn't know what to make of the incident. Apparently, they had previous suspicions that their New England home was haunted, because over the two years they had spent living in the home, the Pitts had caught several odd occurrences on their home security camera. These instances ranged from simply hearing strange noises to, on one frightening occasion, watching a door shut seemingly on its own. However, this would have been the first visual confirmation of the apparition itself. And if I'm being honest, the picture is an eerie one, which is likely why their story inevitably went viral online. And while it is true that we cannot corroborate their claims, nor can we authenticate the photo itself, I think we can all agree that the story is, at the very least, compelling. Regardless of if this photo is authentic or fabricated, stories like Amanda Pitts are becoming more and more prevalent, 
leaving many of us to wonder, is there anything lurking in the background of our iPhone pictures? And if there is, would we even want to find it? This episode of Haunts was written and produced by me, Courtney Hayes. If you've been enjoying the show so far, I would greatly appreciate it if you could give it a follow or leave a review. A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show really helps us reach more listeners each week. Also, if you are interested in learning more about today's topic, I highly suggest checking out the show notes section on the Haunts website at hauntscast.com. This is where I link all of my sources and share any visual content that may be referenced during the show. Finally, if you would like to receive sneak peeks or updates about the show, make sure to sign up for our email list on the Haunts website or follow us on social media at HauntsCast. Thank you for listening, and until next time, happy haunting. <laughs>